The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to episode 56 of the Practice of Being Seen podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist. The Pobscast is a collection of connectfulness conversations where we join together with therapists and anyone interested in deep restorative transformation. We examine how to create ripples of change within ourselves and within the world around us. We often think that fear is designed to keep us safe. Today, we're inviting you to shift your focus because it's often that very fear that keeps each of us from living out our dreams. We misunderstand fear's purpose and message. It's uncomfortable to be in relationship with fear, so we tend towards making choices that allow us to avoid fear altogether, that keep us safe and playing small. The thing is that our fears cloud our ability to enjoy the crap out of our lives. Fear and joy coexist simultaneously, constant companions. We don't eventually become unscared. We learn instead to feel the fear and move forward anyway. In this episode, I'm talking with Lori Ostrovsky. Lori helps women entrepreneurs who are intimidated by their own audacious goals get clear on what they want and what's getting in their way so that they can, as she says, simply leap. Lori is a speaker, coach, and hugger, and she's also the author of two books. Her first, I'm Scared and I'm Doing It Anyway, is about how she's reinvented herself after being diagnosed with a brain tumor, and her latest is called Simply Leap. Seven Lessons on Facing Fear and Enjoying the Crap Out of Your Life. In this discussion, Lori and I reflect on the power in vulnerability, possibility, and community, and that sometimes we all just need someone to be the first to be vulnerable, to give us permission to do the same. We talk about laying groundwork for our dreams, seeding our visions, and about choosing our words and company wisely along the way. And we discuss the importance in viewing joy and pleasure as a practice. And of course, we discuss fear's guiding presence throughout and how we keep fear in its serviceable place. Let's dive in. Lori, I'm so excited to have you here with me today. You know, Rebecca, I'm really honored to be here. The caliber of guests that you have. Wow. It is, uh, it's really awesome to be here. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm just as excited to be sitting down and talking with you today. It's, this has been a long time coming for us. Yeah, our walk was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, we had an opportunity to go for a, a walk around Vassar College and um, just talk about our dreams and our goals and where we're at and what we're building individually. And that was, that was quite a while ago. I think I've watched you bloom and blossom locally since then. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, the beauty, I think, of meeting other women entrepreneurs, regardless of your business, is that we end up mentoring each other in the process. Very much so. And locally, anyway, you've built a whole community around exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's blossoming further than that. My business um, is really about creating communities where women can feel supported and, and grow bigger, faster, easier by working together. 
because it feels lonely otherwise and it doesn't have to be. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, and on so many levels, and I would love to dive in more. I know that you also, um, you have a story that is underneath all of this for you. And so maybe we start with your story and then we come back into the way that community really helps to support women entrepreneurs. And I, I love this kind of tagline of yours, um, who are intimidated by their own audacious goals. Yeah. <laughs> we all are, aren't we? I guess oh my that, goodness, that, that yeah. means that you're on the right track if you're intimidated yeah. by your own goals. Yeah. I think it was Joseph Campbell who said, if the path before you is clear, you're probably on somebody else's. Wow. Yeah. We yeah. need that quote. Yeah. We need that today. Yeah. So um, I think that's part of the intimidation too, though, right? That we all, how many, you know, there's so many people I talk to who want to know exactly what the next step is. Yeah. They want to, well, not only do you want to know what the next step is, you want to know that you're going to get it right. Yes. Yeah. That it's going to work out that you're going to make $10,000 more that you're going to, you know, that the perfect person is going to show up if I do this. Um, Because otherwise, then why would I? But it doesn't work that way. It it never works that way. In your experience, how does it work? Let's go back to that Joseph Campbell quote. So one of the things I tell every new client um, when I work with them is, is that I took a personality test a few years ago. And one of the things, the traits it came back with was that I like to drive a different way home every day. And back before GPS, this was totally true. And I would get lost a good portion of the time I was in the car, especially alone, because I would see a road that I'd never been down. And I'm like, nah, let me just see what happens. And, um, you know, so part, part of the time I would hit a dead end and that would be a total bummer, but like a good portion of the time I would find a shortcut somewhere. I would find a park I'd never been to. And it felt like I had discovered buried treasure. Like, Oh my God, like the day suddenly had meaning because I took this road I'd never been on and then found something I'd never seen before. And I just had to tell people about it. And I even do that when I'm walking in places. So I, I loved living in Manhattan and living in Washington, D.C., because I really, I literally would walk a different way home all the time. And so that actually speaks a lot to the, I think, the path that I'm on and the path that I, or when clients find me where they are on their path, they're probably either on the cusp of a different road or halfway down that road going, I don't know if this is such a good idea, but I don't know if I turn back now either. Yeah. It's a scary place to be. It's, it's a lonely place to be. Yes. I think lonely is the worst part of it is the, and, um, and because if I get it wrong, right, like the fear of getting it wrong, if I get it wrong and I'm alone, I'm going to be even more alone. How am I going to get out of this? Everyone's going to see me um, doing this and making this mistake. And what am I going to do about that? How am I going to survive it? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know how, what do I do next? And I don't know what, a, what I do if I get it wrong. Like it, it's just paralyzing. So, so where do you go next? What do you, where do you take your clients or where did your journey begin? Okay. This is going to, you just asked where my journey began. So, yeah, um, so what I'll say is in some ways I got lucky by having the most unlucky thing happen. Um, so I was, uh, 28 
um, working in Manhattan, climbing the corporate ladder, doing, making my parents very proud of me, um, earning consecutively more income, taking on consecutively more responsibilities, um, impressing my bosses, and I was engaged, and I was planning a wedding, and um, going on business trips across the country, and, um, and then I had an ear infection that would not go away. And I went to the doctor to see what was wrong. And um, turns out much more was wrong than I had ever guessed would, would, be, would be true. And so I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it was in that moment while I was, you know, kind of staring at the screen in front of me that I was like, everything is going to be different. Everything is going to be different now. And so I'll say... Luckily, that happened because obviously I would never wish that on someone. And luckily, I would never, that happened. Yeah, luckily that happened because otherwise I would still be in that marriage, even though he was a nice guy, it wasn't the right one. Um, I would still be in that marriage. I would still be doing that job. And I would know that I was unhappy, but it was definitely safer. I was making all safe choices mm -hmm. and I think I needed something big enough to wake myself up and say, really, you're not going to try the scary thing. You know, you know, you can do it. You know, you really, well, actually I didn't know I could do it, but I knew that it was possible that something else was possible and I was kind of dancing it around it. And once, once I had this moment in the, doctor's office, when I saw the tumor and all the things that happened after that, I realized, okay, when you face the scariest thing, the smaller scary things like quitting your job or disappointing people you love, um, which used to be the scariest things for me, they suddenly were still kind of scary and intimidating, but I'd still do them anyway so because I'd had something worse. This is kind of the message that you lead with, right? Yeah. It's a lot of this, I'm scared and I'm doing it anyway. It's the title of your first book. Yeah. 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 That, um, that title actually came from my first ever speech. So I am an introvert and feel really comfortable listening to people and, <laughs> you know, and, and writing things, but getting up in front of people and talking was never something I imagined. And then again, uh, I had a brain tumor and, and all bets were off. I, I was just going to do whatever it is that, that came out in front of me. And one was to give this speech, a five-minute speech, in front of a room of 400 people. And I really thought I was going to throw up that night. I really, like I hid in the women's re re uh, restroom until the moment that I had to go on stage because I thought, well, either I'm going to throw up and then I'm in the right place for it. Or I'm going to practice my speech and practice it and practice it, you know, to the moment I got on. Um, but part of that speech <laughs> was, was about facing fear, that what I had learned from the brain tumor was that things are really, really scary and you don't become unscared. You actually just deal with fear in a different way. And so I said at the a moment in my speech, I said, I'm on stage tonight because I'm scared and doing it anyway. And then I went, rah, uh, because the, <laughs> the image behind me on screen was Braveheart, you know, like with the blue paint on his face and everything. So 
the crowd reacted. They roared back at me. Uh, And then when I got off stage, people approached me all the rest of the night. I'm scared and doing it anyway, too. They kept saying that. And it was only in their reaction that I realized how powerful that that was. Yes. How necessary those words are, how necessary it is to go first, to have somebody go first, to be vulnerable first and say, like, I'm doing it and you can too. Yes. Yes. Um, so that's, yeah. So that really led me towards writing this book. Well, and, and it, it also connects back to what we were talking about before about community. It's, it's the daring to go first. It's, because there's that ripple effect that once you go, and, and I say this all the time, you know, it, um, it's, it's in daring to look at ourselves. It's in daring to see all these different parts of ourselves that we create a ripple effect where we can become a change within ourselves and for the worlds that we want to create. But also that once we become that change, it inspires everybody around us to do the same. And I think that also speaks to the community that you talk about. Yeah. You know, I was thinking as you were saying, I don't remember exactly what this is, but it's like a Buddhist thought that um, I think Thich Nhat Hanh talks about, you know, the, the more you meditate, the more that energy goes out into the world. So even though you're alone on that seat, on that cushion, that energy changes the energy around you, which changes the energy around them, which changes the energy you know, around the world. Right. And uh, I like, I, I never really got that, but I feel like in communities, you see that more, you see the, you know, the kind of the drop in the, in the lake, in the ocean or whatever that ripples out. You see, see that much more around the, the communities of people you surround yourself with. Very much so. I mean, they, they say that, you know, the, the five people that you surround yourself with, right. It has this effect on you. It definitely does. I, I see it all the time. So you got up on stage, you gave the speech, people reacted, and then? Then I started to realize that, um, actually around that time, I realized that I was doing a disservice to myself and to my clients by not talking about my own story. So up until that point, up until I got on stage, um, and this was 2010, yeah, 2010, before that, I had no mention on my website about having a brain tumor and what had happened. And, and you know, I decided to become a coach while I was actually in my hospital bed. Um, so I never talked about that. And one of the reasons was because I was afraid of people pitying me. So when you're sick, if you haven't had that, that joy yet, um, you know, when you're sick, people have this different look on their face, like, oh my gosh, are you going to be okay? And they're worried about you. And it just... It, it feels awful because it felt awful to me because I felt like less of a person. Um, I felt less strong um, and less capable. And as a natural A student, like wanting to do well, like I want you to look like, look at me like I'm doing well. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I didn't want that pity from people. I wanted people to respect me. And then I realized as I, you know, told this story on stage that there's a way to own your own story and there's a way to, as you've said, powerfully bring people along and get them to shift their own lives by, you know, jarring them awake the way I was jarred awake um, in what happened to me. And what lessons have you learned along the way that you've brought forth into your work? 
Oh my gosh. Um, or into your life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, there's an I'm integration scared. point between the two. Yeah. Well, I'm scared of doing it anyway. It comes up a lot. Wow. There's so many lessons. Actually, that question, it's really hard to pick one because um, it, I think it's the relationship with fear and recognizing that it isn't a, um, it isn't a bad thing to feel scared. It isn't, um, it doesn't, it isn't a sign that you're on the right, on the wrong path. It's actually, it can be a sign that you're on the right path that everybody else is scared too. That's one I repeat to myself constantly. It's like, really, when you think that everybody has it together, they're, they're totally, they're totally freaking out. You just can't see it. You can't see it usually past your own fear. That's one that I like repeat to myself when I'm intimidated by someone else. Like you meet someone who feels like they've got it all together. It's like, nah, they're just, you can't see it. They're just doing, they're just going with it anyway. They're scared of doing it anyway, just like I am. Yeah. Yeah. I I love this. I I love this conversation around the relationship with fear. And I think it's an important one. It's, It's one that I'd really like us to dive a little further into. I think a lot of people, like like pain, I think a lot of people are very scared of fear. They don't know what to do with it. And it often becomes a barrier and shuts down possibility. And this is so much of what I hear you talking about. And I see you living and teaching in the communities that you host. Fear is, it's, it's, a, it's a portal. Yeah, I want to I wanna make it into a good sign. Mm-hmm. That you're on the right track, that if you aren't scared, I mean, it goes back to that Joseph Campbell quote, if you aren't scared, you're living someone else's life, you're not really going for it, you're choosing the safe the, the safe path, you're making somebody else happy, yeah, you're not fully fulfilled. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you have to be um, petrified every day. <laughs> It just means that, you know, when fear shows up, you know, when I, even when I have a bad dream, because I still have them every once in a while, even when I have one, I'll wake up in the morning and go, okay, what does that mean I'm intimidated of or kind of, you know, overwhelmed by or what's the, what's the story that's coming up that that dream just surfaced again? And, and I think this is where the relationship is showing through. You, you mentioned, you know, you use this phrase, the relationship with fear. And so I think this is that relationship where now you're actually engaging in a conversation. You're saying like, what's happening here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, there's a, there's something deeper. What, what is it um, that I want to take a deeper look at? What is it that I want to sit with a little longer? What is it that I need to leap into next? Yeah. 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 Um, what, is the, what is the boundary that I've just pushed that is that this little demon is coming up? This little, this, you know, it's like, oh, oh, you just stepped over that line again. Okay, good for you. Yeah. Keep going. I love that. I'm trying to think of um, what's that, what's that movie about the, um, with the, the all the personalities inside this the person the kid's brain um inside out yeah man that was such a great movie i loved inside out and i guess i just wanted to bring that in here because inside out when it when it came out and i'm sure as a therapist you have really interesting things to say about that um but as a coach what that brought up was a way to have that com- part of the conversation. Like, okay, what part of you is taking the reins right now? And, um, you know, obviously in coaching, we don't go to the, the depths that you do in therapy. And mm-hmm. um, I really respect 
uh, what you and your listeners um, do for clients and have helped me with through the years. But we still, even as a coach, I still have to have a way to talk about fear, right? And the blocks, the things that get in the way. And um, Inside Out really allowed us to have like a a real, a genuine conversation about it with a lightness to it um, that, you know, that a cartoon can give you. Yeah. I find that it's such an important conversation for everybody to be having on a lot of different levels. And I don't think there's anyone out there who isn't afraid. It just manifests in different ways. So it could manifest just in terms of like writer's block, or it could manifest in terms of staying in a job that pays the bills, even if it's a job you hate or you don't really feel fulfilled by. It could manifest by... um, Something like what I did in my life, I I dumped my husband three times before we got together. That was fear. I was afraid of being with the right guy, right? It could, yeah. (laughs) Then I finally like told him he had the green light and we've been together ever since. It can manifest in so many different ways. It can also totally debilitate us and shut us down. And we could live in a state of anxiety or depression because we can't move forward. And yet fear can be our greatest teacher. And I love this. I love this, this reframe that you're bringing to it about developing this relationship with it. You know, in, in therapy, there's a form of therapy called um, IFS or parts work, where you really kind of go in and you look at these different parts of the self. And I think this is what this movie is, um, what Inside Out is kind of bringing forth in some ways in this conversation. But I think it's it's very much a relationship with this part, with these with these fear based pieces of who we are. How do we tend to them in a way that they could be our guides? Um, I uh, in in one of the books, I think it was my first book. I talk about treating that part of you like like a little kid. Yeah. Um, you you know, if a three year old is scared, the last thing that you would do most of us would do is say like, buck up camper. It's going to be fine. Like, and throw them in, you know, like most of the time it's like, Oh, I'm sorry. You're scared. And I'm sorry. You're hurt. You know, like pain, you, you said before pain and fear or similar. I'm sorry. You feel that way. And then you would hold their hand and still walk them into the classroom, right? Like if they were scared of their first day of school, you'd still walk them in. You'd talk about the snack that you'd prepared for them and, and how they were, they're going to make a friend They you promise, but like you would go with them and you would talk kindly to them because they're three. And so what if we just did that with, with all parts of ourselves? Like, okay, yep it's okay. It's okay. You feel this way. And, you know, um, if people can hear me talking to myself in my office, that's often what I say. like, it's okay. That's usually the first thing that I say to myself, even though the things are happening in my head out loud, I say, it's okay. You're going to be fine. It's all right. You're great. It's okay. Keep going. Now, this isn't the way you were brought up necessarily. It's not like the kind of programming and programming isn't necessarily the word I want to use there, but it's, it's not necessarily the kind of self-talk that, you were accustomed to before you got a brain tumor or is it? Hmm. That's a really great, great question. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think your program's long enough for me to talk about my family, but (laughs) We, we don't have to go into all of it, but I guess my, my question is more about, I'm curious if this is something that you've taught yourself later in life, this self talk. Yeah, I, well, I think, 
I think it's always been in me because I'm, I'm an only child slash firstborn, you know, so if, if you would all like um, birth order, which I'm fascinated by, like there's a very specific way that firstborns and only children kind of approach things. Like you're the first one, you're going to have to figure it out and your family's kind of figuring it out with you. And so I guess I'm used to being in new situations that my parents can't necessarily help me with because they don't know how to handle it either. It's first for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I always had that in me. Um, what I, how I treated that when I was younger was usually quieter, uh, you know, as an introvert and then as a shy introvert, I would, I would go the quiet route and kind of like get my bearings off of the corner of the room to figure it out. After the brain tumor, um, you know, and it, I was still kind of forming because there I am in my late 20s. It's like I'm still, I was still kind of figuring things out at that point. But I think after that, it was like, well, right after it, nothing was scary. So I was traveling all the time. I, t- I went to art school. I got my coaching degree. And, uh, you know, I was doing anything new. I did divorce. Yeah, I got married, got divorced, but moved, sold all my belongings, traveled the world. You know, I did all of that because nothing was scary. After that, and I think that this needs to be true for any of us. So after divorce, after a loss of any kind, um, after a major medical event, we usually have this, this breath of air like, oh my gosh, anything is possible, right? Like once you get through the dark period, there's this breath of like, let me do something. And then as humans and as living beings, we go back to stasis. Like we go back to what was normal again. And that was the moment when I realized that I was going back to normal and like, oh gosh, I don't want to go back to that place. I want to still be that kind of braveness in me. So how do I go to normal and still be brave? And that's when the self-talk happened because it was like, well, I don't want another brain tumor, right? I don't want to get hit by a bus to be brave again. So I'm going to have to do something else to keep myself going. And one is like, it's okay, keep going. That's like a long answer to the short question. It's, It's a perfect answer. I love it. It's so encapsulating. So let's dive in a little bit to Simply Leap. Okay. Because this is, this is part of keeping going, right? This is part of that, of, of this process. You're, you're scared you're doing it anyway, and you've got to keep talking to yourself and remind yourself to take these leaps, to, to do these things that you're afraid of. And you've learned a lot of lessons, not only from yourself, but also from your clients. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are, they have been incredible teachers through the years. Um, and so when I approached writing my second book, I actually, um, I, I wrote it in a month. Now the book is short, so I'll say like that's, you know, they're not that impressive, but it really didn't even need a lot of editing after because I had gotten to the point where I knew who I wanted to talk to and, and I knew what I wanted to say because I wanted to tell these successful client stories, like how they leap and what I learned from watching them leap. And what I learned from, what I did was I imagined um, 10 clients, 10 of my best clients that I've worked with through the years. And I imagined, well, what if I, they all met in the room together? So I, I tend to work with clients over, over video and, and the phone. So you're creating communities even in your imagination. 
Yes. Okay. Another reason why Inside Out is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> oh, good. It's normal. Totally normal. <laughs> yeah. So I imagined them in the room together and I imagined, okay, what would these clients say to one another about the things that they were, they were up to? Because they, they all took very different directions. Most of them were career related or business related um, goals that they came to our sessions with. But, um, but then how they approached them were slightly different and, and the makeup of their families and, and personal situations were different, their locations were different, their ages were different. So, okay, so what is it that they have in common? And, and the book, Simply Leap, um, really came from the conversation I thought they would have with each other and the lessons that they all had in common. Like being ready for, so the, the first the first chapter is called Be Ready because the first lesson that all of them really did was to prepare for the inevitable achievement of the goal that they had. Well, like, let's assume you're actually going to get there. So what is the groundwork we have to lay now? Get the, get the 401k in order. Um, have the, uh, like, make a design for the office that you're going to have. Um, you know, look into those travel plans to Bali, even if you don't have the money for it yet. If that's what our goal is, then what is the groundwork we lay now? And all of them seem to do this with some guiding, you know, through our conversations, but that, that needed to be the first lesson because it was just something that they all had in common. Yep. I, I often talk about it in terms of planting seeds, but yes, it's, it's the groundwork. There, there are, in order, we have a vision we have something greater that we want to achieve, that we want to get to. And we have to, there's little things that we have to do to seed that vision. Yeah, I, I never was much of a manifester, but I now talk about it a lot with my clients and that the words that you use. Um, and I really think actually community, it comes back to community as well. Um, I always talk about the word community instead of saying like my Facebook group or, you know, I, I, I rarely say the word group because group doesn't have the emotional connection that community does. Yeah. Um, when I say you and I are in a community, you feel ownership even before you know what kind of community it is. It's like, oh, well, if we're in this, then what is this going to be? I love that. And, and so our goals are set the same way. Right. The words that you say about things, like the, one of the things I call my clients on all the time is when they say, work is crazy or work is really busy or, and I'm like, you know what? You want more of that? Keep talking about it. Because you'll keep it, getting the crazy. You'll keep getting the busy. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I know, you know, crazy means something different in, in the world of psychotherapy, but like, you know, clients tend to say like, oh my God, it's like my manager and this and, um, and my family. And it's like, you know what? You're just, if you're going to focus on that, it's not going to help it. We need to find the spaces the spaces of ease and of restfulness and of the things we want to achieve as opposed to only looking for the chaos. Yeah. And so part of the, you know, part of what the, the lessons that I'm, I talk about in the book are, you know, about choosing your words and really paying attention to how you talk about things. We, we, we've mentioned already before the people you surround yourself with really important and the words that they're using and the words that they reflect back to you and repeat back to you. Um, those are, those are really important things to pay attention to because, because really we don't have control. We don't actually have control of anyone else in our lives, nor do we have control of the things that are going to happen to us. 
right? Like that was actually one of my biggest lessons. I had no control of having a brain tumor. They, they can't even tell you why, why I ever contracted it. Um, but I had control of everything that happened after, how I felt about it, how I thought about it, the people I surrounded myself with through all of the treatment, um, the actions that I took, those are the areas of control. And that's all we have control of, of everything else in our life too. I love that. So let's put our focus there because otherwise if we blame somebody else, you're not going to get anywhere with that. Another thing you talk about putting your focus on is enjoying the crap out of your life. Yes. I talk a lot about that. <laughs> talk more about it right now. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, so there's a, there's a whole chapter in the, in the book, Simply Leap, that's devoted to enjoying the crap out of your life because, and really I, I say this up front, if you're not enjoying your life now, how will you ever enjoy it when you get the goal that you want to achieve? Because it's a muscle. Enjoying your life is actually a muscle that you have to develop. We have to learn how to stop and smell the roses and take a moment and, and really appreciate what you have right now. Yes, things aren't perfect. And by the way, when you achieve the salary that you want and the career that you want, and you build the business that you want, it's not going to be perfect then either. Um, but if you've already developed the capacity to enjoy where you are and to look for things that you really appreciate and love, um, then you're going to be even better at it by the time you achieve what you're looking for. Um, and by the way, you may want even something different once you learn how to, uh, how to enjoy your life more. You, you know, your, your path may shift again. Um, so, so one of the other things that my, uh, all of my really most successful clients through the years have in common is that they're pretty happy people who really like certain aspects of their life, even if they're coming to me to shift other ones. So how do you build that? How do you build the muscle of enjoying the crap out of your life if it's not something that you're already doing? This is, okay, so besides the thing that I tell myself about, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I'm also like, it's great, you know? <laughs> so um, so I, I, I teach it by doing. Um, yeah, so we, um, I've had clients talk about the dance parties that they had. Like um, I have clients come back and tell me, um, every time I get a positive email, um, or a new opportunity comes in, I do a little dance at my desk. Okay, great. You know, or I have, um, no joke. If we've met in person, I often am carrying with me a little bag of, um, sparkles, of, um, and I will randomly just like take a, take a little handful out of my pocket and like throw them up in the air because why not? Um, and I often look for, and it, it, what enjoying the crap out of your life looks like to me is looking for moments of joy and seeing it in other people. Like I took a side job working in a chocolate shop at Christmas time because I thought what could be a happier place than watching people either buy chocolate for themselves or buy chocolate for other people. And it was amazing to watch Every single person who came into that chocolate shop, first words out of their mouth, no joke, 95% of the time was, oh my God, it smells amazing in here. And the moment the smell happened, I know it's a drug and it works. It, no, but it's a sensory experience. You're, it, and it's a, it's, a, it's a grounding experience in that. Oh my God. You could tell that they were yeah. going back to another place in their life and at a simpler time and what their entire um, 
their entire body changed. And you're talking about something else here too, that I think is really important. We're talking about how do you, how do you enjoy the crap out of your life? But in illustration of this, you're sharing with us observations you have of other people grounding themselves and having a moment. And these are moments of, of being present. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, something yeah. about even observing other people in their presentness is another way to get yourself back and train that muscle. Recognizing joy around us, whether it's our own or other people's. Yeah. It's got to mean the same thing. I mean, there's, there's got to be a residual thing that we get from it. Right. I mean, I'm sure you know better how to, how to put words to this, but like, there is joy around us at any time. In fact, actually, I have a client right now who's been talking about miracles. And one of the things that we ended, it's she, she believes in miracles and she's seen them and witnessed them. And, and we got to at the end of a conversation like, okay, so miracles are happening all the time. Can we believe that? Can we trust that? Yes. And she and I were in agreement of that at the end of the conversation. Okay. So if a miracle is happening all the time, even if you can't see it, even if it's not happening to you, what does that mean for your day? If, if you know for a fact that miracles are happening all day long somewhere, and she's like, oh my God, everything's different. Then I live in a world of miracles. I'm like, yeah, you do. You do. So we live in a world of joy, of people enjoying the crap out of your life. Like that exists all over the place. And so what does that mean? What does that mean for your life? If, everybody, if, there's, if there's crap to be enjoyed <laughs> everywhere, what does that mean? And, um, and I'm coming back to the relationship with fear again, because this is the antidote. This, or maybe the antidote is not the right word necessarily. This, this is this is the partner to fear, right? That the other side of it is we have these conversations with the things that bring us joy with, we're not just sitting in fear all the time. We're in relationship with it. And there's another side, there's a dark and there's a light. There's. Well, I think it also goes with what you're saying before about being present. Um, If we can be present with the fear that's in us, we can also be present with the joy because it's likely you have multiple feelings going on at the same time. It's more than likely that you have multiple feelings. It's probably (laughs) probable. (laughs) Well, and then that means, and when we go back to choice, because everything goes back to choice with me too. So, so if you get to choose, if the, if the only choice in front of you is that you get to choose what you focus on, well, why would you ever focus on the fear or the pain when you've got joy that's right here you could be focusing on? You focus on the fear or the pain enough to to be guided by it, right? To not, um, to know that there's a message in it, that there's, yeah. that there's yeah. something to tune into. And then you find the path within it that helps guide you towards the things that bring you joy, that help you embody that presence. Yeah, I mean, I think I go back to the three-year-old though, if you're walking them into a classroom for the first time, you're going to help them find some joy there too. You're going to be like, okay, you know what? It's totally okay that you feel scared of this new new place and we're going to keep going. And here's that snack I packed for you. Here's the, you know, the, the play set that they have sitting out. Aren't you excited about the new outfit that you're wearing? I, I think that there's a way to even enjoy the scary moments that you find yourself in. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that that can help you with the path through. 
I think there's a lot of things that can help with the path through. And one of those things in this illustration isn't even let me show you these things, but it's also, I hear that you're scared and I'm here with you. Yeah. It's that, it's that being with, it's that community again. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, if we go back to, um, the, the personality test I mentioned in the beginning, um, that, uh, you know, that I like to walk or drive a different way home every day. The thing I always bring it up with new clients, I bring up that specific story, that um, specific personality test, because I say, at some point while we're coaching together, you are going to find yourself in a place that you've never been before, and you're going to be uncomfortable, you're going to be scared. And I want you to know that I've put myself there often enough that I've driven down enough unknown roads, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be right there with you. And I'm going to be holding on to the belief that there is, there is a buried treasure that's possible. There is a shortcut that's through here. There is a park that we've never seen. There's something that's really possible if we stick on this path that neither of us knows what's going to happen next. And, and at least I have the experience that I've been there enough. And by the way, you, all of us have that experience. But I can remind you of that in the moment um, that it's worth it to keep going. Um, and absolutely what you're saying, I'm in it with you, is one of the things I say often to the clients that I work with and the communities that I um, am founded. I love it. Because this is, this is the way that we combat the loneliness. Because if we don't have someone to be in it with us, if we can't be with ourselves in it, which is another piece of community, right? It's another part of the relationship. But if we can't be with ourselves, if we don't feel that there's other people with us, then part of the fear is that we are all alone. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's a scary place to be. It really is. It's a vulnerable place to be. And so this this is beautiful because we're really talking about how to make these leaps, how to (laughs) how to reach our own audacious goals, even when they're intimidating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with being with ourselves and finding community that we can also be with. Mm -hmm. Recognize the people that support you and believe in you. Um, Thank them, seek them out, um, focus your energy there um, on the fact that you have support and that it's available to you and also be your, be your support be your cheerleader and um, your, you know, your kind guide into the, the classroom <laughs> for the first time, all of that. Yeah. Lori, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure to, to spend time with you and to talk to you again today. Oh, such a pleasure to thank you for the You're opportunity. Welcome. Where can our listeners find you? Well, so my website is simply leap. Dot com and the information on the books are there. I'm also pretty active on social media. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And, and I would love to connect with you. Awesome. We will include links in our show notes as well. So thank you again. We thank you. appreciate your journeying with us today. We'd love to hear what audacious goals you have and what's preventing you from leaping. Join us in the Popscast community on Facebook or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag Popscast. You can also send me an email at practiceofbeingseen at gmail.com. I always love hearing from you. There's a link to click in the show notes if you're interested in working with me to find out more about my therapy, 
my mentorship services for therapists, or my private couples intensive retreats. The Practice of Being Seen podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, along with the support of my amazing behind-the-scenes team, Nicole Stevenson and Christy Hausler. Music by Chris Farris Jr. and Sr., produced by Kidneystone Studio. We hope that you enjoyed the show and that you'll join us next week for another episode of The Popscast, brought to you by Connectfulness. <laughs>